Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. For a long time, the Associated Press poll was a very big part of the overall college football story. In fact, even in our lifetime, you want to go back to the sort of previous era of the sport, BCS, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, the AP poll was a main component of the formula for how you played for the national championship. So we have lived in a time in which the preseason Associated Press poll is a very big deal because it was one of the building blocks for how you'd eventually win a national championship and being number one in the AP poll essentially was the national championship for a long time kind of prior to that the AP poll has had huge importance in the sport even though if you want to go back to ancient times it was clearly biased against the southern and SEC teams Uh, nonetheless it was always a very important uh, part of the college football story it seems like in the age in which we live now in the final year of the 14 playoff looking ahead to kind of future playoff expansion even too the AP poll is somewhat less important because it's not an official part of anybody's formula anymore And yet I still think it really matters because it's like one of the things we've had for the longest. It's one of the ways in which we kind of compare seasons across time. And frankly, it becomes a very interesting comparison at the beginning of the year to the end of the year for the simple fact that we, and I don't vote in the AP poll, they don't let people like me do things like that, but all the media types for the most part, we just have a tendency to get things very, very wrong in ways that can't be foreseen at the beginning of the year. But at the end of the year, we almost always get things wrong in sort of a similar pattern, it seems anyway. And so from that standpoint, I'm just sort of fascinated by this. You've heard me say this a million times in the past, and I believe it's one of the truest things about the sport we all love, college football. It is very easy to project, but very difficult to predict. What I mean is, if I gave you a blank sheet of paper and said, hey, give me the top 25, and I gave somebody in you know, Eugene, Oregon, a chance to do the same thing, oftentimes our top 25s are all going to kind of look the same at the beginning of the season. There's a certain logic that sort of says, well, this team on paper would appear to be better than this team. And, you know, we can kind of project who kind of should be in the preseason top 25. And for the most part, as we kind of, you know, flow along the season, we'll be kind of directionally accurate on that. That it's sort of obvious at first blush to say, well, this category of team is clearly way better than, than the rest of the country. And for the most part, we'll be directionally accurate on that. But if I said, okay, now drill down to the sort of specific granular detail and now tell me who the best of all is and then tell me who's going to be second, tell me who's going to be third and kind of start stacking them that way. We may be directionally accurate, but we are never going to be specifically accurate. If we were, we'd all be rich. That's true for the stock market, college football, you know, pick them contests or anything else that if we could get that specific with accuracy, then we'd be the richest people in the world. All, all of us would be uh, because there's money to be made from being right on predictions. But college football has a way of sort of staying a step or a step ahead of, or two, even anyway, of the predictions that we want to make. And I'm fascinated by that. It brings me back every single year. It's just really, really good drama. I just love it. And I love it when my team's at the top, but I still kind of love it even going back years, which that wasn't the case. It's just fun to be entertained by all of this but obviously for Georgia right now there's a little bit different kind of thing at stake here because Georgia is trying to 
as we say around here, go for three in 23. We enjoy the idea of go for two in 22. Those two twin national championships uh, that Georgia has had and the belief among many Georgia fans, those two trophies now need to buddy. They now need a third trophy to kind of go with them, a third straight national championship. And this is where the music changes and the tone of the conversation becomes a little bit different because I'm here to tell you, and you probably already know this, many of you do anyway, that as Georgia seeks to go for three and 23, it has a very big enemy standing in its way. It has an arch nemesis uh, that is blocking its path towards this national championship. And no, I'm not talking about whiny, pouty Ohio State, still complaining about what happened in the Peach Bowl with Javon Bullard. And no, I'm not talking about Alabama and the tired old heads in the media that seem to think this is still five years ago when Nick Saban was still the coach that he once was. And no, I'm not talking about mighty Michigan and all the media types who seem to think that's the team destined to win the national championship. When I say that Georgia has a big nemesis standing in its way, uh, you know, a foe to confront here this year, it's not any team that will play on the field. The thing that Georgia may have to confront this year more than anything else is history. History is apparently not on Georgia's side. This is the kind of thing that's probably come up in conversations before. Uh, but nonetheless, it's an important reminder here that, boy, you look back through the ages in college football, there is a lot of history just sort of working against Georgia here this year. And I feel like even on a show like this where we are genuinely very optimistic about what Georgia can do this season, I, my best guess is that Georgia will win the national championship again. I've explained this before. That in order to make a pick of someone else to win the national championship, I'd have to do two things. I would have to, first of all, make the case against Georgia because when Georgia's done it the last two years, the burden of proof now rests on why Georgia won't do it here this year. And when we look at UGA, we see areas in which this team needs to probably improve upon before the season gets here. We see areas of concern. There's obviously conversations to being taken place about areas in which fans hope Georgia can get a little bit better. But there is no fatal flaw. You know, Georgia was not a team like, say, LSU in 2019 that was so led by quarterback, they can't even hope to be as good without Joe Burrow. That's what LSU would have been back then. Georgia got great play from Stetson Bennett uh, the last couple of years. But Georgia was not a quarterback-dependent team. And so, therefore, the idea that Bennett's, uh, Bennett's no longer here you know, that's not a, some sort of fatal flaw for Georgia. It's a question to be answered, but it's not an obvious fatal flaw in which Georgia cannot overcome. Same thing for the defense there, too. Georgia's obviously become the most dominant team defensively in the entire country, but they replaced five first-round picks in 2022 that had departed off the 2021 team, at least in terms of total results, didn't seem to skip a beat. So the idea this team can't replace a Jalen Carter or can't replace a Chris Smith or can't replace a Nolan Smith. I mean, frankly, we saw Georgia replace Nolan Smith before the season was done last year. He was obviously hurt and injured. Once again, players lost off the defense. That can't be a fatal flaw because we've seen Georgia overcome that kind of stuff before. So Georgia may have some issues. It may have some blemishes even. May have some areas in which it hopes to improve as the season goes along but no obvious fatal flaw. On the flip side of that, what has happened for a program like Michigan, which is number two in the preseason AP poll, what has happened for a program like Michigan to believe they've now overtaken Georgia? It's certainly not recruiting rankings. Uh, their recruiting rankings are far uh, more meager than what obviously Georgia's has been. Same thing for Ohio State. Ohio State had a guy like C.J. Stroud a year ago and had the game of his life against UGA, but that still wasn't enough to beat Georgia. The idea that a new starting quarterback is somehow going to miraculously change all that you know, obviously it could happen. It was a close, hard-fought 
tightly contested game a year ago, but it's not obvious in our mind that Ohio State's now better than Georgia. They're simply one of the teams that's competing alongside Georgia. Same thing with anybody else there as well. So there's no obvious case to be made against UGA, no obvious case to be made for one of the teams competing with UGA. So therefore, it just seems logical that Georgia might win the national championship again. But even if everybody kind of used that logic to put Georgia preseason number one in the AP poll, be very, very careful here to the extent to which history sort of works against you when everybody seems in agreement on that kind of logic. I want to show you here a tweet from longtime college football writer. His name is Brett McMurphy. He worked for ESPN for a good while, uh, and now he works for a company called the Action Net- Network. Uh, McMurphy writing on Twitter, and kind of he does this in sort of sarcastic fashion. He says, Godspeed, Georgia. Meaning, be careful here if you're UGA, the preseason number one in the AP poll, because 17 of the last 19 AP preseason number one ranked teams failed to win the national title. Only Alabama in 2017 and USC in 2004 overcame what he calls the preseason number one jinx. And he also adds in for good measure, Georgia's also trying to become the first three-peat champion since Minnesota in 1934 through 1936. So you got two big issues working against Georgia. Long-term history, the idea that it's been decades, 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 almost a century since the team's won three straight national championships. And over the course of the last 19 years, only two times has the media gotten it right with its preseason number one team. Now, I would tell you the far more relevant point on that is the near-term history, more so than the long-term history, uh, although the long-term stuff probably matters there as well that when we look at the seasons and who's likely to win the national championship, we just have a tendency to sort of get some of this kind of stuff wrong because even the Alabama team that won in 2017 had to sort of sneak through the back door to get there. They didn't win the SEC West. They you know, lost a game to Auburn at the end of the uh, regular season, still found their way into the college football playoff and kind of utilized the system, something that Saban became pretty famous for doing a couple of times there. That's how they won that championship in 2017, sort of sneaking through the back door to kind of get there a little bit. So y'all, let's be realistic here for a second. And you know, I would say that our show probably has a history of being as about as optimistic about Georgia as anybody does. And how could you not be given the overall success Georgia has had? Of course, that's the case. But this is going to be really, really, really hard. It's just going to be very difficult to win a, a national championship. And the funny thing about the difficulty awaiting Georgia is we can't really predict what it's going to be. That's the fascinating part here. We don't really know what it's going to be that stands in Georgia's way. But history would tell you whether it's the almost century's worth of teams trying to win three straight or the last two decades worth of teams trying to maintain a number one ranking throughout the year, something's likely to occur. So all I can really tell you here is buckle your seatbelt. All I can really tell you here is be on guard for everything, whether it be something internal for Georgia where, hey, you know, couldn't have foreseen this popping up so-and-so got hurt or so-and-so didn't quite play as well as he hoped he would or whatever that is or something external because I just said hey on paper here's what I think about Ohio State on paper here's what I think about Alabama on paper here's what I think about Michigan but guess what a lot of times the things that kind of emerge during the season those are not quite the things we could have foreseen on paper I've made this point before I'll make it again when Alabama was going for a third straight national championship in 2013 that's when Auburn came up out of nowhere first year coach and Gus Malzahn converted defensive back and quarterback and Nick Marshall the the prayer and Jordan Hare the kick six and miraculously that's the team that won the SEC and that's the team that played for a national championship now will something like that kind of befall Georgia here this year I don't think so but the point is we don't know we don't know what this is going to look like but 
I think it's possible, and I think it's probably even necessary, that as you are, if you're like me, a Georgia fan, very optimistic about what Georgia can do, I think we also need to be very realistic about how hard it is going to be to actually do it. Does that make sense? You can be optimistic while also being realistic that Georgia has a chance to do something amazing. But the reason why it's amazing is because it is so hard. I think that Brett McMurphy's numbers there kind of indicate just how true that is. Now, let me slightly shift gears here for a moment because in the wake of Georgia being number one and the discussion about how you stay there when so few teams have done so, some of the stuff that we got from that first scrimmage going back to Saturday are sort of some of the building blocks for how we discuss Georgia's attempt to kind of do what few teams have done go wire to wire as a preseason number one and then finally a postseason number one for George would obviously be a third straight national championship and some of that's hey can you take what appears to be a little bit of a weakness now can you make it a little bit stronger some of that's what that is and we talked about some of that yesterday other parts of that are hey can you take what's been your number one strength or your you know kind of highest category of strengths and can you make sure they stay strong and a lot of times football success ends up being built on the back of that as much as anything else and obviously for George if you said hey what has been the best part of Georgia these last couple of years I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anything that's mattered for Georgia more than defensive line you know it's Jalen Carter a year ago we saw Carter in preseason game uh, on Saturday night he absolutely looks like a dominant force and he was that for Georgia when he was healthy last season uh go back to the year before that it's it's Jordan Davis it's Trayvon Walker it's it's Devontae Wyatt it's three first round defensive uh uh you know linemen on the same defense obviously Carter was a part of that too so Georgia's had this amazing defensive line performance over the course of its last two national championships as Georgia tries to do the hard thing of winning a national championship again as it tries to do the seemingly impossible thing of actually proving the media right and actually finishing a year number one when the media media picked them to to begin the year maybe one of the most important questions along the way for Georgia being able to do that is can this defensive line stay as good as it has been throughout all of that so let me bring Kirby Smart into this because Kirby Smart was asked uh, on Saturday about the performance of the defensive line and kind of what he's seen from that group and when you think about all that it's going to take for Georgia to go for three and 23 and finish number one the place that they start according to the preseason AP poll defensive line will play a big role in that this was the very candid evaluation that Kirby Smart offered of his defensive line going back to Saturday this is Kirby we got some really tough hard workers in there I don't know that we have a dominant disruptive, super hard to block guy. I think we've got to create that through our uh, athleticism on the perimeter and our athleticism at backer. But we have some guys who believe in the core values of our defensive program, which is to strike blockers, knock the hell out of them, knock them back. I think Jordan Hall is coming along. I mean, he he had a tough day today. He's got he's got to grow up and be able to help us and 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 play and be disruptive. But we have uh, very good experience there, and we have very good toughness there. When you count Nas, Zelo, Warren, and Donovan Jefferson, those guys have really pushed hard and, and give us uh, four quality SEC players uh, in there to to help us. So let me use Kirby Smart's words there to kind of finish a point here and kind of put a more positive spin on maybe some of the negative history that stares George in the face that sometimes we have a tendency to be surprised for the negative of oh gosh so-and-so team that Georgia had to play turned out to be way better than we thought they were going to be or so-and-so challenge that we didn't anticipate for Georgia turned out to be much more formidable than we expected it to be sometimes the way in which college ball surprises can be for the negative but not always 
sometimes the surprises this sport has for us are also for the positive too you hear Kirby Smart what was it that he said there something effect of you know I don't know if we have a game record right now or I don't know if we have just a dominant whatever the phrase that Smart used he said I don't know if we have this guy right now well guess what over the course of the last couple of years there have been a lot of moments which we started the season saying I don't quite know what Georgia has and so and so and come to find out what Georgia had in that player was really phenomenal and that player was far better than we sort of realized that he was going to be had the capability of being and we ended up being positively surprised there as well so that's kind of a fun thing about this is that we're on guard for anything we are on guard for history repeating itself here where it's very difficult as a preseason number one team to go out and win it again and there's something that's going to step up and happen that kind of proves that to be true but we're also on guard for the way in which college football can sometimes surprise us with the positive there as well. That facing the challenges that every preseason number one team faces, Georgia has guys rise up. And guys that are somewhat known to us right now, they exist in the sort of realm of potential. They actually fulfill much of that potential on the field here this season. And Georgia steps up and does what no team has done before it in darn near a century, winning a third straight national champion. Will it happen? I believe so. Can I guarantee that? No, I cannot. And that is what makes this sport so entertaining. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Glad to have you with us across all, pla- across all platforms. Video, radio, podcast, so many ways for you to connect with our program. Just really appreciate you doing that. And our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia, they make it all possible here today this is my foundation and waterproofing company and i am thankful to have them as a part of what we do here on our program because i genuinely believe based on conversations i've had with the entire team over there many times visited them there uh, in their offices you know uh, talked to their people and the one thing i know is they've dedicated themselves to dealing with one of the most significant issues you might face if you are a homeowner and their company's grown because of the work that they've done for people just like you who one day you walk down the uh, basement and you look around you're like "Uh oh there's water down here and it's not supposed to be uh or you see those cracks start to show up and y'all you know when you see that like sort of stair step thing in the brick or the horizontal cracks maybe in the sheetrock or something along those lines you know that is potentially a sign of a problem and that's where our friends at engineered solutions of georgia want to step in and say hey simple fix a larger problem whatever it is an entire team of engineers on staff devoted to helping you solve that problem a solutions-based company if there ever was one and the engineers they have and really nobody in our marketplace puts that kind of uh resource together for you for foundation issues waterproofing issues making sure your home is built to withstand all of this Nobody in our marketplace puts that level of resource to work for you. That's why I am so confident in telling you there can be a solution for whatever your wet basement or crack wall problem might be. They can take care of all of that for you. Now, here's the other thing there as well. They are also proud partners of UGA. And I think it's really fun to support those that support the dogs. It's never been more important and maybe than it is now to kind of you know step up and kind of show support. And that's what Engineered Solutions of Georgia does. And so when you support them in a roundabout way, you're also supporting UGA there too, which is kind of a cool thing. So please give them a call. If for no other reason, they're also longtime friends of ours here on Dog Nation Daily there as well. And I am truly, truly grateful for that. So give them a call. 678-ESOG now. 
That's 678-ESOG now. Engineered Solutions of Georgia can be a solution for your foundation and your waterproofing issues. All right, we're going to get Connor Riley here coming up in just a uh, little bit. Uh, we'll talk a lot of things uh, with Connor here today, but prior to that, I do want to go around the doghouse. Uh, and let's talk about the big news yesterday as it related to UGA recruiting. Not unexpected, but also not good news. Williams Winnery, five-star defensive lineman who Georgia had been a factor with and certainly kind of down to the wires recruitment and when area at one point in time was going to commit on august 1st right and it was like august 7th and finally got moved to august 14th which is obviously yesterday and georgia was trying to win that battle you know missouri had been the factor oklahoma had been a factor georgia was trying to kind of keep itself in the conversation there for reasons i mentioned before all the great defensive line success that georgia has had georgia was trying to do that but ultimately it was missouri that sort of won out here for winery many of you kind of have a pretty good idea of how it was missouri was able to win out here we'll talk more about that in a moment i want to show you this first of all so there was video and uh i saw this 24 7 sports but pretty much everybody had it. i want to show you a still shot here of you see drinkwitz he's jumping up he's celebrating he's wearing camouflage shorts i mean listen i don't like any of this i mean obviously i'm a georgia fan so maybe i don't like you know what it looks like celebrating on behalf or i should say you know at, at georgia's expense here drink was the same guy that did the papa shot thing after they got the luther burden type deal but this whole deal to me is contrived like i mean you know there's so much media stuff out there that just sort of seems fake and unreal and don't you get allergic to some of that kind of stuff at times like to me this is the sort of thing that i just sort of find myself very allergic to because clearly Missouri knew it was going to win this battle for a reason we'll get into in a moment. Clearly, Missouri knew it was going to win this battle. Uh, Drinkwitz knew he was going to be, he wanted to be on video because they wanted to see the celebration. So, all of this is, hey, how do I want to dress? I'm going to show myself off as a kind of cool, casual guy who wears camo shorts. Is there anything about Drinkwitz from the shoulders up? that makes it seem like he'd be wearing camo shorts or should be doing that. No, of course that's not the case. This is, once again, sort of a contrived manner of dress uh, as a way of making it seem like, oh, I just threw something on and came over here to be a part of this video, as opposed to, hey, knowing we're going to do a video of what's going to be a pretty good moment for our program, a rare recruiting win, something that Missouri almost never has unless there's some sort of mitigating factor involved. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this orchestrated video, so let me also orchestrate my outfit there as well. We focus grouped this, and we found out that I look cooler and more relatable if I wear camo shorts. You know, That's the kind of silliness that you can sort of see being involved in on this. And then we're going to do a video in which we pretend to be surprised by news we knew we were going to get. To me, it's just conduct unbecoming. And listen, you can say, well, you're just crying because Georgia didn't get him. As a Georgia fan, obviously, I would love for Georgia to got Williams Winery, but this is the kind of thing that makes Missouri as a program look small. And if they got Luther Burton on the offensive side and they got Williams Winery on the defensive side, uh, ultimately, it's still a small program that happens to have a couple of uh, five-star recruits here. And I think Drinkwitz's behavior is one of the reasons why, as a program, they look small. And frankly, Drinkwitz himself, I believe, comes across looking a little small in all of this. But nonetheless, that's the video they wanted to put out there on that. Now, a lot of Georgia fans are very much of the belief that NIL was a huge factor in the decision for Winnery to go to Missouri instead of going to Georgia. And part of the reason for this is something our Dog Nation recruiting insider Jeff Sintel said on our program going back to Friday, that the state of Missouri, where Winnery happens to hail from, has some NIL laws in place, not rules, but actual state laws that kind of benefit the in-state school in the rare moments in which Missouri has the kind of prospect that's being chased nationally by, by, by top programs 
that that Missouri state law very much benefits the in-state program. This is what Jeff Sintel said about that on our show on Friday. Take a listen to this. I'm paying close attention to a recent NIL legislation in the state of Missouri, Brandon, where players that sign with the in-state school uh, can start receiving NIL monies immediately while they're still in high school. Uh, and that's a kind of a that's kind of an agenda setter right now for a program that wants to keep their key blue chip prospects in state. And what I'm hearing, Brandon, I'm just going to be frank and honest. I'm hearing there's an NIL, significant NIL portion of this recruitment right now. And we all know Georgia is not going to be the highest bidders at all when it comes to an NIL recruitment, no matter how good you are. I think that last statement from Jeff Centel is the kind of thing that sort of hangs in the air a little bit and gives Georgia fans a reason to sort of consider what's going on there. Jeff, matter-of-factly stating that Georgia is not going to be the highest bidder in an NIL influence recruitment, no matter how good the player is. And by the way, in this case, Williams Winery is ranked as the number one overall recruit uh, by the uh, rating service known as On3. They've got Winery as the number one player in the country. And Jeff says, even for a player of that magnitude, Georgia is not going to be the highest bidder in an NIL-related situation. And a lot of Georgia fans are left to wonder, okay, B.A., well, then what does that mean? You know, what does the future look like for Georgia if, much like the K.J. Bolden thing, which we're led to believe that NIL is a huge factor there, an exorbitant fee, um, you know, some of the stuff you've heard on message boards, I've been told by serious people is likely in some form or fashion true, that it was a kind of previously unforeseeable number that won that battle for Florida State uh, for K.J. Bolden, at least for now. And in the case of williams area, we're led to believe it must be a very sizable number indeed if a guy like that would choose to go to a place like Missouri and Flounder when he could come to a place like Georgia and have a chance to succeed the highest level. Not that Winnery himself as a player will flounder, but Missouri as a team, that's all they've ever done, all they ever will do. Uh, so, you know, from that standpoint, if they're able to win this recruiting battle, then it must also be a very high figure that allows, you know, that to go on. And so if you're a Georgia fan, you're led to wonder, well, gosh, does this mean that recruiting has changed this much that Georgia's not able to kind of lean on its success, not able to kind of point to its proofs of concept of look at this guy in the NFL and that guy in the NFL and that guy, does it mean that things have really changed? And I would say that to a degree. I think it has changed. I think I think that the presence of NIL and recruitments like this have led to sort of a new era in all of this. But I truly, genuinely believe that does not necessarily have to be a bad thing for Georgia. In fact, I, I think that Georgia's sort of pathway to success here uh, moving forward is to kind of take a page from what also is working in the NFL. You know, you want to go back to NFL scouting uh, combines throughout the years were probably more better said like the Georgia Pro Days things like that think about how many times you've seen Bill Belichick in Athens before and you've got the pictures of like Kirby and Belichick together there was the viral moment a year ago when Kirby Smart was sort of relaying something that Bill Belichick had said about the kind of defensive lineman he's looking for and there's the moment like going back to 2019 when Belichick when the Super Bowl was in Atlanta said some nice things about Kirby Smart and whether he builds his program things like that there's this little bit of a tie-in that has seemed to exist between Kirby Smart and Bill Belichick two coaches cut from similar cloth tough-minded uh you know committed to the sport that they seem to be kind of be sort of similar dudes in some ways look at how the bill belichick has through great success built the new england patriots how many times have you seen the patriots trade down in the nfl draft how many times have you seen the patriots take advantage of dumb gms who want to go all in on a big name high-ranked player because they believe their scouting is so correct and so accurate and Belichick's been more than happy to kind of accumulate third and fourth and fifth round picks over the years and it's really from that part of the draft 
that Bill Belichick has built the kind of roster that has allowed him to win the Super Bowl over and over and over again. Obviously, having Tom Brady helped. I'm not saying it didn't. But there's an aspect of the New England Patriots' success for many years that was more than just Brady. It was also Belichick's ability to kind of be judicious in his personnel decisions as he populated the rest of the roster. Now, I don't believe that Georgia is going to become solely a team that has the college football equivalent of the sort of mid-round draft picks. But I do believe that, that has also been a part of the success that Georgia has had. You know, Javon Buller was not a guy that people knew much about before he came here, one of Georgia's best players. Jordan Davis was not a guy on the recruiting trail that necessarily generated a lot of interest but became one of Georgia's best players Lad McConkey in the offensive side of the ball uh, Stetson Bennett maybe the best example of that maybe perhaps of all but on and on you could go and in the future I do think the very best teams are obviously going to win their share of recruiting battles because when you've had as much success as Georgia has had great players are going to want to be a part of your program but they're not all going to want to be a part of your program if there's some outsized heavy dollar offer coming from either the in-state school or the school that's just sort of desperate to win a recruiting battle or whatever else. There are going to be more of these moments in which financially it wouldn't even be wise for Georgia to match the offer that's out there because all they do is just drive up the price more or they, they can't win it anyway because the team on the other side of that negotiation is just so desperate for the win, they'll throw out whatever dollar figure they have to do. So if you're Georgia, you sort of have to figure, okay, what is our next plan then? You know, what do we hope to do? And as I said, I think there's a certain aspect of how NFL rosters are constructed that's going to matter more here at the college level there as well, where you're going to have to try to collect as many elite players as you can and also be very good at how you evaluate the other players available to you and find what other programs miss. The good news is no one's been better at that than Georgia has been. And the overall, I think, picture here is, is that Georgia has been, I believe, the very best program when it comes to a recruiting standpoint in college football the last few years. I don't think that's likely to change. I truly don't. But for Georgia and the other programs who sort of stand near the top, at the top, in terms of how they go about this, you know, the idea of hoarding all the five-star players and having them all on your roster the way that it's almost seemed like it has been in recent years, maybe that part of this is changing just a little bit. You know, maybe there is going to be the sort of one-off player who ends up going somewhere else because the bid is, is so high. And so what you do around the elite players you can get may ultimately tell the tale of just how great and deep and talented these top rosters are going to be constructed in future years something to keep your eye on for sure and that's around the doghouse here on dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia today now before we're done on our program i'm going to take a deeper look at the ap preseason top 25 obviously we know where georgia is right there at the top how about the rest of the teams in that preseason top 25 the teams that georgia plays the teams that georgia competes alongside with we'll take a look at what else we saw from the preseason ap top 25 before we're done on the show today but for now recap of what happened for the scrimmage on Saturday for Georgia you know kind of what's next for UGA recruiting in the ever-changing landscape of you know kind of how recruiting is impacting the sport right now and the history I guess working against Georgia as the preseason number one team let's cover all of that ground with Connor Riley here today on Dog Nation Daily presented by ESOG From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insight. Let me bring in Connor Riley on the conversation we were just having because I know Connor is a New England Patriots fan and maybe nobody we could talk to is more well acquainted with how Bill Belichick has built those great Patriots teams. Now, Connor, I don't want to be naive here. Having Tom Brady has certainly made that very easy, or I should say made it easier to build championship success. I mean, the Patriots did for a long time. 
And yet I'm still fascinated with the idea that that Belichick was sort of the master of trading down for a long time. Bad teams spend big in free agency. Oftentimes that doesn't really pay big results. Bad teams trade up in the draft because they want the big, fancy, buzzworthy name. But oftentimes that doesn't quite work out because the same teams seem to be trading up in the draft year after year after year. Belichick content to trade back. Belichick content to use his free agent dollars judiciously. Smart teams seem to make decisions like that. And I believe moving forward, College football won't become completely like that, but a little sprinkling, a little dusting of that kind of roster management stuff, I do think is going to be a part of the college football story moving forward because whether it be, you know, uh, really aggressive NIL laws or just really desperate teams in various battles for various five-star recruits, it's just going to be hard for a team like Georgia, not just Georgia, but teams like Georgia. It's going to be hard to win those things moving forward, I believe. Uh, What do you make of all of that? recruit at the level that Georgia does and when you recruit nationally the way Georgia does, uh, you know, it's going to be tough to win every single NIL battle in the way that some teams might try and, and go about doing, you know, uh, with regards to Williams Winery, you know, this is a guy that Missouri, you know, they're really only going all in on maybe two or three different guys in that state because of the way the state laws are set up there. And so that gives a team like a Missouri a huge advantage over a team like a Georgia that does recruit nationally and is willing to go all over the country and has made it a big part of their you know recruiting modus operandi to go out there and recruit at a national level. And so, you know, I mean, the K.J. Bolden is a separate discussion in terms of the way that that had gone down. But, you know, if you're going to recruit at these levels and recruit nationally and go into states like Missouri, like a Washington, like a Nevada, uh, you know, where it's not necessarily a Florida or a Texas or a California, uh, you know, those NIL battles are going to be a little bit tougher to win in those states, especially when you have a, a state like Missouri that does have such an aggressive NIL law. Now, again, Georgia still has the number one recruiting class in the country. They know better than anyone. But uh, it's interesting that you bring up the New England Patriots. I think for one thing they did so successfully in that sort of second run there where they won three Super Bowls in the 2010s was, yeah, they weren't going to get the high-priced, super-duper star player uh, you know, in free agency. I mean, one time they got uh, Darrell Revis, but that was essentially a one-year deal. But what they really excelled at is was just living that middle class of free agent yeah. where, you know, they're not going to be the guys that command the most money, but they're going to command some money. and We're going to spread it out over three, four different guys in that area rather than go after the one big ticket guy. And that led to a lot of success that led to deeper teams for New England and ultimately led to more championships. And so, you know, Georgia knows what they're looking for. They trust what they're evaluating they'll be willing to open up the pocketbook if there is a player that absolutely is needed to. But when it comes to recruiting and when it comes to NIL and and bottom line here, again, I think culture is the most important thing for Georgia in terms of what they're looking for. And and the guys that fit that know that Georgia is the place for them pretty quickly. You saw this summer, you know, Justin Williams, for example, how Georgia wasn't really a factor in his recruitment up until May. And then by what, beginning of August, late July, he knew that Georgia was where he wanted to be. Uh, I think those are the types of recruiting battles that Georgia more often seems to win rather than, say, these williams Winery, K.J. Bolden, you know, the, the guys bouncing all over the place in terms of what he is looking for or who is the perceived favorite in his recruiting uh, in his recruitment, rather. Yeah, I think we're on the same page about something. You know, we could talk to the state legislature right now and say, hey, you know, 
we got to change this law so that Georgia can do NIL wise what I guess the state of Missouri is able to do uh, for its in-state program right now and I think you and I would say even if Georgia had the same legal opportunity that a guy like you know when seems to enjoy there in Missouri I don't think it changes this recruitment I don't think these are the kinds of bidding wars that Georgia wants to win and that's not the same thing as saying Georgia didn't have a bid I believe that Georgia probably did you know obviously within its own you know laws and things like that you know have some sort of opportunity to kind of show when this is how NIL can work for you to place like Georgia clearly that's going to be a part of UJ's pitch it wouldn't be competitive if it didn't uh, but when it comes to, as Logan Roy said, just naming the highest number, that's not going to be how Georgia does this because all you're doing is just driving up the price at that point in time. Give me a number. Nine? Right. Nine, five? Right. Um, yeah, it, 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 it speaks to, you know, again, I think what Georgia wants, they know that they have to be aggressive in the NL game. They're, they're not shying away from that. And, and look, if you think they are, look at the number of recruitments that they're in. And you've made this point before. If Georgia wasn't aggressive in the NIL space, they wouldn't be a hat on the table in some of these uh, recruitments. And so I think, you know, as this program continues to get more developed under Kirby Smart and as he now enters his eighth year, and just I think generally has a better idea of what he is looking for when it comes to a recruit, uh, you know, they're going to get better at identifying these guys. But, you know, sometimes the guy you're looking for isn't available in terms of the character or culture fit that you're looking for. And you're going to have to go outside some of your normal marks and, and go out there and find a guy that, that can bring it, that you can bring in and help your football team. And, and so it, it's a balance that Georgia's going to have to walk. But again, they still have the number one recruiting class in the country. They're going to win more recruiting battles than they don't. And, and at the end of the day, you know, like sure, this isn't going to be the greatest recruiting class of all time. Like we thought maybe potentially could be in June, but it's still a really talented class, really deep on the offensive side of the ball. And defensively, you still have some real studs there at each level of the defense with Joseph Jonah Johnny on the defensive line, Justin Williams at linebacker, and Ellis Robinson at the cornerback position. Uh, moving on to what happened in Athens on Saturday, Connor, I think my best takeaway in all of this is it appears to be sort of business as usual. You know, Kirby Smart's never happy after the first scrimmage. It's really, really hot after every one of these August scrimmages. The team has to sort of fight through that heat. Some guys did it better than others. I mean, you could have made that almost any year that Kirby Smart's been here. So for the most part, even in the areas in which Georgia seems to be evolving, I sort of think this is sort of business as usual. I'm curious to think if you agree with that. But I do believe there is one area in which, I don't know, it's probably appropriate to circle that and sort of figure out where all this is going. And for me, that is at running back right now. So two parts there. First of all, do you think everything else is sort of progressing as sort of a typical Georgia team other than running back? And do you agree with me? That's the one thing that probably ought to be highlighted, circled in red, whatever you want to do in terms of an issue that we're not quite so sure yet if this is typical Georgia as of yet. Do you agree with both those points? Yeah, uh, as far as the heat. So I was in Colorado for a family wedding this weekend, had a lovely time out there. Uh, the high on Saturday, the day of the wedding, was 75 degrees. Wow. Uh, and when I got back into uh, Atlanta on Monday morning and I walk out of Hartsfield-Jackson Airport, uh, it was 77 degrees, and you feel it too because of the, the humidity and whatnot. So, uh, again, you know, coming out of the scrimmage, Kirby Smart, as you pointed out, he's never happy. Uh, and that's why Georgia's won two straight national titles. If you've got a happy coach in the middle of August, that's probably not a great sign for, for you know, what a team might be capable of in terms of pushing and peaking at the right time at the end of the season. 
I mean, I mean, as far as running back, look, I've written the story multiple times, and there's not too many different ways to say it. Uh, if Kendall Milton and Branson Robinson are not playing or not, are not full go and are not cleared as they were not for, for Saturday's scrimmage, I think you have a lot of questions about this running back room. Uh, you know, they've had some recruiting misses of late uh, that I think would desperately help this room out a lot. And when you've got injuries to, in my opinion, your two most talented pure running backs, not to mention Andrew Paul as well, who's still working his way back from an ACL injury. Uh, you know, it, there's not a dynamic option in that running back room as currently constituted. We'll see if Milton and Robinson are able to be healthy enough to do that. But I think Georgia's really going to have to rely on the pass this year. And, and, you know, again, there are some concerns with that with having a first-time starting quarterback. But, you know, the years of Georgia being able to just get the ball to Zemir White, James Cook, or, or dump it off to a Kenny McIntosh, you know, I don't think that's going to be the case in 2022. I think it's a big reason why you've seen Georgia go out and have such recruiting success in this cycle and landing three really talented running backs who can all do very different things. You know, part of that sure goes to Del McGee's recruiting ability and Georgia's ability to sell those players on what they can do here. Part of it is just those guys are going to be able to come in and I think play a role right away because of the way this running back room is made up. And the comments made by Kirby Smart coming out of Saturday scrimmage I think only further back that up. It's good drama to me because, you know, Del McGee, we heard from him last week, and he used the word confident. He says he's still confident in his running backs, even with the injuries here right now. So, you know, I've cautioned folks, hey, be careful being too skeptical in an area in which a guy like McGee says he's confident. But here's what we know. One way or another, this is not a choice. You know, you can't coach around or scheme around running backs for an entire year not in the sec this could if it's not good end up being a fatal flaw for uga now i don't believe that it will be i i guess i believe that someone like mcgee who's been around for a while that eventually he's going to find you know a group that works or you know someone like kendall's going to shake off the hamstring or maybe branson's going to be back before it's all said and done there as well so you know i'm not quite ready to be fatalistic on this as of yet but i am quite sure that if Georgia is not good at running back, it's not winning the national championship. They'll just be taken out at the legs uh, by some of the teams they face in the SEC. Forget the playoff. You're going to have a hard time going on the road and succeeding in places like Auburn and Tennessee if you don't have the running game to go along with the passing game. Now, you don't have to have Herschel Walker back there, but you do have to have somebody who can who can you know who who, who can kind of provide the counterpunch there for you on that. So. McGee says he's confident some fans are not quite so sure we'll see who's right about that but the one thing I know for a fact is you got to have good running game if you want to emerge out of the SEC for a chance to win the national championship B.A. you want to know the simplest reason that Georgia has just beaten the snot out of Tennessee the last two seasons it's got nothing to do with quarterback play I know what you're going to say I know what you're going to say it's because Tennessee cannot run the football against Georgia's front because Georgia's defensive front is able to clog things up with really three down defensive linemen and their two linebackers, Georgia's five is able to beat Tennessee's five when it comes to the offensive and defensive fronts. And, you know, look, Georgia's going to be able to win a lot of games because of the talent advantage they have and the schedule that they play. But if you're not able to consistently run the ball and have a balanced offense to where teams can't just sort of key in and put either, say, eight defensive backs on the field or, you know, uh, or they feel comfortable enough in the inverse to just sort of, like you saw in 2019, just say, hey, we're going to play four guys. Uh, in the secondary and just play man coverage if you don't think you're good enough to beat us on the outside. Georgia's offense under Todd Munkin had great balance. Even if there was never a 1,000-yard rusher on the team, they always found a way to get productive games from running backs. And that's going to be a big challenge, I think, for Mike Bobo to, to scheme around some of the concerns that they have at the running back position. And 
I 100% agree with you. No, I think the running back position is going to be fine. Certainly, I think as they get South Carolina at home and then Auburn by the end of the month, you hope that Robinson and Milton's injuries are not an issue at that point. But if the running game is a negative, uh, Georgia is going to have a very tough time winning a third consecutive national championship. Yeah, so I think it's fun to watch it play out because uh, one way or another, it's going to make for a very, very interesting storyline and a very, very interesting sort of subplot to Georgia's overall mission, of, as we say around here, to go for 3-23. and 23. And speaking of that, I guess final topic for us here today. I love the preseason AP poll. I like the way in which the sport seems to rhyme with itself with similar patterns year after year, even in a time in which it seems like the AP poll is less important than it used to be. There's still, a, I think, kind of a cool framework it provides for what happens after that. And as we kind of half kiddingly, half seriously have said, history is really working against Georgia. You know, the idea that the last night, as Brett McMurphy pointed out, last 19 national, I uh, should say 19 preseason number one teams, only two of them have gone on to actually win the national championship. Connor, I'm not telling you that's the be all end all, but it ain't nothing to me either. Uh, do you think history is working against Georgia here this season? No, I don't, because like, I don't know if a few more voters. Now, obviously, you know, so many, you know, Georgia had I think sixty of the sixty-three first-place votes. But like, if a few more voters think that Michigan is the number one team in the country because they choose to listen to Hamburger Liar Jim Harbaugh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I don't understand how that has you know a season-long impact on, on whether or not Georgia can win a national championship to that point. And, and so, you know, that's that's something that is outside of the, the realm of control of this Georgia football team. But you know, to that example, I point out the last number one team to win a national championship at the start of the season as number one team was Alabama in 2017, and that team got a lot of breaks yeah. in that they didn't even win their division or, or much less conference and still got into the college football playoff. And so, look, you need a lot of things to go right. While, while yes, you're right to point out what two of the last 19, uh, you know, have started the season from number one and, and gone on to win the national championship. Since the college football playoff came into existence, the lowest-ranked team in the preseason, you know, top 25 to win the national championship, was LSU in 2019 when they were the number six team to start the season. So you have to, I think, have have been near the top and have expectations to win just because of you know with the extra games. I think that that limits the number of teams that can win a national championship to right around six or seven. And, and so you have to sort of be somewhere up there. And look, when you've won the last two national championships. It's hard to go to go against having Georgia as the number one team in the country. So you know, doing what they're going to try to do is always going to be difficult. And if you know, being a number one team to start the season adds another level of difficulty to, to it. I'm sure Kirby Smart and Georgia are like, fine, just add that pressure to us. Pressure makes privilege. And I want to be a, uh, clear here. I don't believe it's a jinx, right? I don't believe there's like some sort of mystical power working against the Priest's number one team. I really don't. But I do believe that smart people are aware of what they don't know. It's what Donald Rumsfeld used to call the known unknowns. You know, I, I do think we have to anticipate some some unknowns here. And when you see the the sort of you know mysterious unknowns befalling number one teams year after year after year, at the very least, you have to be on guard for it. Whether it be something internally with Georgia or externally, because some opponent rises up in a way that we can't foresee right now. That we have to be on guard for that. For those of us who want Georgia win the national championship, or those of us who just sort of plan on covering it got to be on guard for those unknowns to emerge and ultimately georgia's ability to kind of make history is going to be determined by how well they conquer all of that right it's the it's the quote at the beginning of the big short it's not the unknowns that kill you it's the things you think you know that just prove not to be true that's exactly right 
And so, you know, again, you know, we have some assumptions about this Georgia team that, you know, the offense is probably going to be fine with Carson Beck stepping in there. But what if that proves not to be the case? Uh, defensively, yeah, they bring back a lot of talent, but, you know, are you sure you can sustain that level of loss on the defensive line to the NFL? You know, four first-round picks over the last two years, that's really tough to replace. And so, you know, at a certain point, all this sort of comes together and catches up with you. Now, we'll see if George is able to keep innovating and stay one step ahead of the curve. I believe in Kirby Smart. Uh, but I'll tell you this right now. Uh, I do not feel as confident that Georgia will win the national championship as I did a season ago. And, and having said that, you know, uh, our colleague Jeff Sintel asked us to put together, you know, cover four. And one of the questions was, uh, who do you think is going, who, who, who are your playoff teams? And the four teams that I had in the playoff, the Georgia's one of them. And if they're with the other three teams there, I feel like they're going to win the national championship yeah. again. So it's going to be an interesting season. And I think one thing last year's playoff run showed us is that so much of this comes down to matchup and who you end up playing. Yeah. And if that's the case, then, you know, we're ultimately going to find out a lot more about Georgia in the month of December than, quite frankly, we are in the months from September to November. No, I think that's really fascinating, Connor. I appreciate that. Great way to say that. And uh, good to have you uh, out there covering these dogs each and every day. I know it's going to be a fun week and getting ready for these final days ahead of the start of the season. Then we'll find out how all this actually plays out in some real games after that. So thanks for your time here. We'll look forward to talking to you very soon on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Yep, as always, it was a pleasure. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Connor always says that, and I think it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure to have that conversation, fun to sort of think about all this kind of stuff and try to anticipate what it is that we don't know about Georgia that's going to end up being a huge factor here. But the the ironic twist of that is, is if we... <laughs> If we think we know what that means, it just kind of gets moved in the category of what we do know, and the unknown stuff still stays out there. So I guess let that twist your brain into a pretzel, and then uh, we'll sort of figure out where it all goes from there. I know where it goes when the season's done. You start thinking about those great Royal Caribbean cruise vacations again, or maybe some of you are lucky enough to be taking advantage of some of the awesome Royal Caribbean deals that you sometimes get during the fall time of year. Uh, that's a really fun thing. And if you're doing that, good for you there on that. Uh, I know for me, I'm thinking about early 2024. My hope, my 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 sincere wish is to be a part of Icon of the Seas as it debuts in January of 2024. And my other sincere wish to have all of you on board with us in April of 2024 as we head out on Allure of the Seas. Now, the Dog Nation cruise in 2024 are going to be bigger and better than ever because we're going to be on one of those Oasis-class ships. And if you go to RoyalDogs.com, you can find out more about the Dog Nation cruise. You can find out uh, our great friend Jessica Slater, Terrific Travel Agents, kind of put it together for us. You can find out about that. But I think you really owe it to yourself to also learn about Allure of the Seas there as well because if you've not cruised before or if it's something that you're not all that familiar with and the idea that it's, oh, it's an Oasis-class ship, what does that mean? Y'all, these Oasis-class ships are literally like being in a city at sea. It's like you get the combination of the beach resort, but you've also got the fun like Central Park location, like you're walking through a, uh, a city park when you're actually on the ship at sea. you got the Royal Promenade, which is like a really fun indoor sort of shopping and entertainment mecca. Uh, you've got, you know, the Royal Theater and the Studio B where the ice skating show takes place. And, you know, you've got, you know, cool things, you know, outside the ship, like the boardwalk area where you got the Aqua Theater in the back of the ship. Like the thing that makes Royal Caribbean kind of, you know, I guess sort of stand out and be more known within the cruise industry 
are all the efforts they put towards the kind of family themed entertainment op you know offerings that they have and those oasis class ships just have more of that than any other ship so it's one of the reasons why you want to be on board uh allure of the seas with us april of 2024 we head out there on that so give jessica slater a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 or please find the website we have right now for you royaldogs.com for a lot more on that all right for our cruise around the sec today i do want to as promised take a little bit of a deeper look at the preseason number one here and i do think it's interesting that when you look at the teams that got number one votes for all the chatter kind of coming out of columbus apparently only one ap voter believes they win the national championship they got just one number one vote and for all the chatter about mighty michigan and all the media types who've kind of wanted to attach their name to the wolverines once again wisdom of crowds perhaps only two of the ap poll voters actually voted michigan number one in other words you can see a clear motivation when there are way more people on tv talking about michigan than the kind of anonymous ap poll voting that typically takes place and you sort of understand what the incentive is oh if you're on tv there's a desire to be more interesting if you're doing the preseason ap poll stuff maybe there's a little bit less desire to be interesting and maybe more of a desire to try to get it right and so therefore you've got more of a uh, of a constituency sort of flocking to georgia whereas on tv you hear a lot less about georgia and yet you know almost unanimously georgia sort of picked to be the preseason number one so do with that what you will as far as the other sec teams in here you do see once again alabama ahead of lsu just like you saw in the coaches poll we've cast doubt on that before uh you've got tennessee treated a little more harshly by the ap poll they were the coaches poll the vols were remember 10th in the in the coaches poll that was a little higher than i would have expected them to see they are 12th here in the ap poll that's a little more like it now keep in mind when you're kind of right there in the middle and they're almost exactly in the middle of this ap poll when you're kind of right there in the middle there's a dispersion right here right the door can swing both ways you can get off to a hot start and actually work your way up in that pole or you can find a road game at alabama pretty tough sledding games against you know road game at florida even too you know game against uh texas a&m which is still going to be power rated by the gamblers in the top 10 of the country despite the fact they're unrated uh, obviously in the preseason a people that you may kind of find some of these games actually be pretty tough all of a sudden what starts off as a preseason top 12 by the time you play georgia you're having a hard time even being in the top 25 because you lost a couple of times so tennessee to me is one of those swing teams uh, could be very good but they can also kind of fall down because the door obviously has a chance to swing both ways and ultimately the thing that's sort of working against the Vols maybe more so than anything else is you know the guy that they've sort of bought into a quarterback the guy that Tennessee fans have turned themselves into believers of it's a guy Joe Milton and not only failed to win the starting quarterback job there at Michigan that's why he transferred but he's actually brought to Tennessee to be the starting quarterback he failed to do that there too now maybe third time's a charm for him but this is a guy who's been pegged as a starting quarterback before and because of the big arm because of the you know the kind of athletic credentials that he brings to the table has sort of expected to be the guy never has been here to this point in time so perhaps skeptical of him again now is the right thing to be um i've told you before i've got texas in my playoff they start 11th so we'll see if they can make that climb there as far as you know another oh, by the way i let me correct myself on one thing here i did i said the texas a&m was not ranked they are ranked 23rd in the preseason ap poll so they did slip in here and then another georgia opponent old miss also comes in at 22nd so that's the deal on that outside the uh the top 25 from the sec arkansas got 73 votes they were second among teams not ranked in the also receiving votes category and then uh 
three more spots behind that was Arkansas. Interesting to see Arkansas getting some love, just given the overall schedule they have to play. Then if you want to you know, go a little deeper there, Kentucky got 14 total votes. Florida got four votes. Um, and that's about it there from the SEC there on that. So uh, only, only two Georgia regular season opponents ranked in the AP Top 25 here right now. We'll see how it evolves for Ole Miss. We'll see how it evolves for Tennessee and then we'll see some some of those teams you know can they work their way into the poll I mean I think if you're South Carolina one of the more interesting games for like from the perspective of a Georgia fan not involving Georgia is probably week one when South Carolina plays UNC who is ranked 21st in this poll South Carolina North Carolina week one in Charlotte that's Drake May that's a little bit of buzz around the Tar Heels right now. North Carolina is a preseason uh, point spread favorite over South Carolina, but only by a field goal. South Carolina could win that game. If you're a Gamecocks fan, you probably believe your team should win that game. If they do, that's a top 25 ranking for South Carolina. And suddenly a season that looks like it has no marquee games for Georgia, well, all of a sudden, fairly early in the year, you're playing a top 25 matchup against what's likely to be an early undefeated South Carolina team. So in other words, the vibe around some of the Georgia schedule changes pretty quickly depending on what some of these teams do in the games prior to playing UGA. And could South Carolina beat North Carolina? Of course it could. And if it does, does the Georgia game uh, against the Gamecocks have a little bit more juice even if the outcome remains the same Georgia winning easily even if the outcome remains the same there's more juice to kind of begin the game because of the ranking that South Carolina could have so just keep that in mind Gamecocks almost in the top 25 and a big win on a neutral side in week one would certainly put them in there it will make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean of course speaking of neutral side games obviously the city of Atlanta a place that's hosted many of those and maybe this December will be hosting George again in the SEC championship and certainly they'll be doing the Chick-fil-A kickoff stuff and all that kind of thing or whatever event might be going on in downtown Atlanta or the Atlanta area if you're coming into Atlanta for that I want you to keep our area here we are in mind for you on that that's our area we call Dunwoody so you're in this Dunwoody area where we are right now you've got a great collection of restaurants and hotels shopping experiences that really make this a wonderful destination for you if business or pleasure whatever else brings you to the Atlanta area I'm talking about nine different hotels with 2100 rooms so there's great chance to get great hotel savings because of the inventory that's available there on that we're also really convenient to two different MARTA stations the Dunwoody station the Sandy Springs station so if you want to get to Buckhead get to Midtown get to downtown but you kind of want to stay out of the hustle and bustle that sometimes goes along with some of that uh, our friend here uh done what he can be a big part of that too plus there's 200 restaurants more than 200 really uh great shopping experiences there as well uh so you can come here and have a wonderful kind of family oriented very very relaxed comfortable experience in the dunwoody area and then you can get on marta you can go in without having to drive and fight the traffic be midtown be buckhead be downtown whatever else this is just a really cool place to stay if your travels take you to the Atlanta area. So please check out discoveredunwoody.com slash dognation. That's discoveredunwoody.com slash dognation for a lot more on that. Now, my hope is if you come here to Dunwoody to stay or anywhere in the Atlanta area, my hope is you behave a little bit better than those lousy stinking gators do when we all get together down in Jacksonville because we've seen them kind of show themselves before. And one of the great... I think sort of many traditions involved in the Georgia-Florida game is the sort of <laughs> sad sack state of the loser there in that one, especially when it's been Florida recent years, having to be dragged out of the cocktail party from time to time. That's the subject of our golden shoe here today. JD, the dog walker, sent this to me. It's a video. I took a screenshot of it, but it's a video of a guy being dragged 
on top of a cooler out of a uh, party area. JD saying this is Florida fans leaving the world's largest cocktail party after another loss. Certainly looks like it appears to even be jean shorts there as well. So truly authentic in all of that. Uh, very good by JD. We will give him a golden shoe for that because it gets us excited to think about another rendition of the cocktail party coming up in just a few days. In fact, how about Gator Hater Countdown, the number of days away? We're getting pretty close to that now. Just 74 days from now, Georgia back in Florida, beating up on uh, the lousy, stinking Gators again. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. We will see all of you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then.